Lord be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, you show us who you are in the life of your son. Now help us to follow in his way. Amen. This week I came across a quote, and I forgot to write down who said it. I do remember it was a name I didn't know. It wasn't a famous person. But I like the quote, and it's been in my head all week, and I wanted to share it with you. It's this. If you know who you are, you will know what to do. If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Knowing who you are, if you know your identity, you'll know what to do. Your identity will lead you to action. That's pretty obvious, I guess. Let's say, um, for example, let's say uh, uh, you're a nurse. If you know what you are, you're a nurse, you've gone through training and all that kind of stuff that they do and practice and, you know, all this learning. And that if you know who you are, then when it comes time, you'll know what to do in that situation. Let's say you're um, a mechanic. If you know who you are, you've studied it, you've practiced, you've bent fingers, you've said a word or two, trying to fix something that couldn't work. And, Eventually, you, uh, you got to doing it, and if you know who you are as a mechanic, then you'll know. You'll know what to do. If you're a UK fan, you'll know what to do. If you're a parent, you'll only learn what to do as you do it, no matter what the books might try to tell us. But over time, as you embrace this whole idea of parenting or grandparenting, you'll know what to do, maybe with experience. This morning we find ourselves halfway through the book of Mark. So far in Mark, Jesus has been everywhere. He's taught, he's healed, he's spent a whole lot of time with people that, that you're not supposed to be with, those on the outside of things. People who didn't matter. He's done incredible things. He, he stilled a raging storm out on the sea when, when all the disciples and Jesus were out in a boat. He fed 5,000 people at one time in the area of a Jewish territory. And then there was this woman, I talked about this last week, a, a Gentile woman who kind of taught Jesus that, yeah, Jesus, your ministry is supposed to be for us Gentiles too. So shortly after that, Jesus feeds 4,000 people in a Gentile territory. And of course, all along the way, he's facing opposition from the Jewish religious leaders. A lot's gone on. But starting today in this middle part of chapter 8 of Mark, things will take a turn because Jesus begins his journey to Jerusalem. Three chapters later, less than three, three chapters later, we'll see Jesus going into Jerusalem, riding in on a donkey on that day we call Palm Sunday to begin the last week of his life that we call Holy Week and then his death on Good Friday. But before Jesus goes on this journey, he wants to let 
his disciples know just who he is, his identity, and because of his identity, how he will act, what he will do. He's with the disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they offer up a few answers. And then really to the more important, the most important question, who do you say that I am? And of course it's Peter who speaks up. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the Greek word. That word Christ means anointed one. Peter identifies who Jesus is because all through, throughout those first eight chapters, it's kind of been uncertain, at least to, to the people that are involved with Jesus, who he is. He goes to his hometown to preach earlier in, in Mark. And, you know, you figure these folks would know him, and they say, well, we know who this guy is. He's, he's Joseph and Mary's kid. Who is he? He's nothing special. Of course, the Jewish religious leaders, they are confounded and mad about who he is, doing all these healings and teachings that he's doing. Even the disciples, that story when, when, the, the, when the storm is still, when Jesus storms the, stills the storm, it says in there that, uh, that, that they were afraid to ask him. Instead, they say to themselves, Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? But finally today, Peter lays it out. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. But you'll see is if you are following along, things take a turn. Because you see, when Peter identifies Jesus as Christ, as Messiah, he has an understanding of what that means. As a Messiah, as an anointed one, Jesus is Peter the one who is to rescue the people from the Roman oppression, and it was oppressive. He was to come um, as a, a royal figure, as the son of David, to come and rescue the, the people of Israel away from the Romans and restore Israel to its true state. If not a military conquest, then certainly a spiritual religious purification to clean out things, to get rid of the corruption and the, the awfulness that was going on in the leadership, and to make Jerusalem a holy city once again. That is what the Messiah is supposed to do, and Peter knows that. That's why Peter is so quick to rebuke Jesus when Jesus starts to talk about his role as Messiah. Jesus said this, he says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. I hope you notice there that the way Jesus describes who he will be is very different than how Peter expected. Peter has no expectation that the Messiah would suffer and be rejected and be killed. He's supposed to win. Before we move on, though, I want to stick up for Peter a minute because that's how we want God to be. That's how we want Jesus to be. We want God to be the winner because when God's the winner, we are winners too. If Jesus is the Messiah, good things are supposed to happen. Good is supposed to go our way. We want a God who will bring us happiness. We want a God who will bring us prosperity and glory. And we want a Christ who's going to reward us for following Him. 
Instead, we get a Messiah who's not powerful at all. We get a Christ who will be mocked and rejected. We get a God who will suffer and die. But of course, we still want to make God the winner. So what we do is we jump to the end of the story. We point out what Jesus says when Jesus was saying, you know, about the suffering and rejected and death. And at the very end, if you notice that, he says, after three days, he will rise again. We read this and we say, yeah, Jesus is the winner after all. All because of Easter Sunday. Yeah, they killed him, but he rose from the dead. And then we take up again that we want a God who wins. A God who will make good things happen. The God who will make me happy. Maybe even the God who will make me rich. This whole part about what happened before resurrection, the whole rejection and death, we want to forget about that. We want to jump from the happiness of Palm Sunday and the parade to Easter Sunday and focus on Jesus as the winner. But Jesus sees himself in a whole different way. A way that will cause him to be rejected and to suffer and to die. But it's not just something for Jesus. It's for anyone who would follow. If anyone will become my followers, Jesus says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Taking up a cross is more than just what everyone experiences in life, the heartaches of life, the, the ills and sufferings, the tragedies that come before us in life. Taking up a cross is much more than that, even though how we deal with those things can be taking up a cross. Taking up a cross is about putting the priorities of Jesus over our own priorities, our own hopes and desires, you see, if our identity is tied with Jesus' identity, then that means our actions will be tied with the actions of Jesus. Jesus will point us toward how we are to be. Taking up the cross means being willing to love as Jesus loves because the way that Jesus loves is a way that will lead him to a cross every Sunday. Right after we celebrate communion, we say an affirmation of faith together. I don't turn around to look to see who's saying it, but I'm assuming that most, if not all of you, say it. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and we serve Him as our risen Lord. I'd like to suggest that that affirmation speaks to our own identity and our own action we believe, but more than believe is, is an intellectual assent or a nodding of the head. Yeah, yeah, okay, I believe that. We trust that Jesus is the Christ. And such a trust marks us as followers of Jesus. And it doesn't just stop there. It leads into how we live our lives. We serve Him as risen Lord. And if we serve Him as risen Lord, one way we serve Him is by listening and following this. Jesus said, for those who want to save their life, 
will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Save your life by losing it. Losing your life in order to save it. That's a lifetime journey to try to figure out what in the world that means. But it means losing our life so that really life might be full. It's kind of like these first disciples, though, because they don't understand. I just love those guys, Peter especially. Peter will say this and that, and then he'll do the opposite. All these disciples that say, we're going to follow you, follow you. And then the whole way along, they don't understand what in the world Jesus is saying and doing. And then at the very end of the thing, they all run away. That's kind of like our journey. Up and down, sometimes following pretty well, other times not at all. That's good news for us. But I'd like to ask you a question this morning. And we'll give you time to think about it. As someone whose identity is tied to Jesus as Christ, what is Jesus calling on you to do? How does your identity lead to what action? I'm glad for those first ones that failed before they would ever do anything good. Because you see, our faith journey is a lifetime of learning and experiencing, you know, we identify as Christian and then we kind of learn what that means as we go along in life. And each one of us have a unique journey. Because each of us have our own unique gifts and talents and resources and passions. All of us are called to a journey which will be different for each of us. Like I said, in a moment I'm going to sit down to ask you to consider what actions you are taking as a follower of Jesus. Here's why I want to do that. I got a good friend here in town, and for some reason she actually listens on the internet to some of my sermons sometimes. I really, frankly, don't know why, but she does. She listened last week, and if you were here, you don't remember, but I talked about different things that I'm involved in in this community, different organizations and such. And she said this. She texted me after she had listened to my sermon on Monday. She said some nice things. Thank you. But then she had a couple concerns that she texted me about, and I want to read them to you. One of them is this, that people might just turn you out. People might just tune you out because that is Scott's stuff. In other words, my involvement in this as soon as you hear me start talking about my involvement in this, you turn out because, oh, God, Scott's talking about that again. That's okay. Second thing is this. They might think that you're doing the work on their behalf as a representative of the church so that they get a pass on doing it themselves. Oh, Scott does this, Scott does that, so therefore we don't have to. And maybe those concerns are true. And in a sense, that's okay, because each of us have our own unique journey, chasing after our own passions and resources and times to do it. 
But all of us are called to follow and to act as who we say we are. In a moment, I'm going to sit down, I promise, and let you consider that. One thing, though, I want to throw this one in here, too. I want to remind us that who we are, a part of our faith is part of being in this faith community. As this Disciples of Christ congregation in this place, in this day and time. And we who are tied to this faith community, sometimes we're called to some sort of a commitment to this faith community in regard to our time and talent and possessions and passions. Thursday at 6.30, I want to encourage you to participate in a time of ministry planning. We're going to look at the next few months, and I hope we can get folks to say, hey, let's think about doing this. Or if something's out there saying, hey, that sounds neat, I want to be a part of that. We had one of these in June, and frankly, the people who turned out were awesome, but there weren't many of us. I hope this time will be different. Okay, now, the question that I've said four times now, is a person, can you put that on the screen, Ben? Is a person who follows Jesus as Christ and Lord, whose identity is Christian, in other words, is Christian, what are you going to do about it this week? If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. What are you going to do? Now that you know what you're going to do, let us now stand and sing our hymn.